Hi there, this is Pastor David Rudy. Due to technical difficulties, we were unable to get a recording of our sermon today. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a reading of my sermon. And I just felt led to do that. So it'll sound a little different. But here is the message from Sunday, January 19th. Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jonah. We're in a series called Swallowed by Mercy. And in this series, we are seeing an incredible narrative unfold before our eyes. So let me get my TV drama recap voice on and say, previously in the story of Jonah, act one, we start out with Jonah doing what we all do at times. He ran away from the presence of the Lord in resistance. Then God responded the way he always does with his children. God pursued him in mercy. Jonah was in rebellion and God sent a storm. Then God sent a great fish, another vessel of mercy, to swallow him and spit him out in Nineveh. Last week in Act 2, we saw how God's mercy was still working. Jonah's prayer shows a couple really crucial truths that we need to do. You can see him calling out to God in his distress in a prayer of desperation. And you can see him give thanks to God for his salvation. Even though he had nothing else going for him, he looked to his salvation and he thanked God for that. Sometimes that's the only thing that you and I can even be grateful for. I feel like nothing else is going, but if you're saved, that alone is more than you ever deserved. But as this story is playing out, there was one thing that was still off. It wasn't what Jonah said in his prayer of thanks that was the problem. It's what he didn't say. And what we saw from chapter 2 was an argument from deafening silence. The missing ingredient that Jonah had in his life was a humble repentance that produces heart change. So God is working because of his grace and mercy. Things are moving in the right direction. But all is still not perfectly well with the messenger. What's new, right? All is not perfectly well with you and I either. That's not going to stop God. God in his mercy has always used people to bring people to himself. And people, if you've noticed, have problems. What we're going to see today is that you don't have to have it all together to do great things for God. Have you ever seen an interview of someone who was rescued from the jaws of death? What do every one of those interviews have in common? Well, the person is thrilled. They are thankful. They praise their rescuer. And the witnesses who saw the rescue, they feel the same way. I have been whitewater rafting before and seen someone flip out of a raft. When that happens and things, and things just slow down, it's incredible if you witness one person in the raft. It's like a switch goes off in their head and they remain cool under pressure. They extend their oar almost effortlessly and reel the drowning, screaming person back into the raft. Everyone goes nuts, right? Oh, wow, that was amazing. Thank you. The rest of the ride, you're just on an adrenaline rush. And when you get back to the shore, you're ready to take pictures and you want to tell everyone about it. You tell that boring waitress at the dinner place on the way home. You tell your family. You tell your friends at school. You even tell the barista who never wants to talk. You just have to tell people. Have you ever experienced that feeling? That's what Jesus is doing. 
He's coming to seek and to save, to rescue people out of the choppy waters that they are drowning in. And think about it this way. You don't have to be a professional whitewater rafting guide trained in every last rescue technique to tell people about your rescue. Just like you don't have to have it all together or have the answer to every question to share with people how loving and merciful your God of salvation is. We have already seen how God in his mercy pursues his children when they run in resistance. Today, we're going to see how God in his mercy pursues those who are far from him. And here's the scary and exciting part. He calls us to be a part of the rescue mission. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've already made. It doesn't matter how much education you have. God uses people to reach people and he's ready to use you. So in this message, Jonah chapter three, we're gonna see three truths about God. And along with each truth, you're gonna see how you need to respond to the grace and the mercy of our savior. So let's get in the text and start by reading the first two verses from Jonah. Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you. Here's the first point. Because God gives second chances, never believe you're too far gone. Do you see the patience of our Heavenly Father right here? He already said this once. But Jonah 1-2 is a copy and paste of Jonah 3-2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Well, when Jonah first heard that, he didn't want to do that because the Ninevites were ruthlessly violent people. They would fillet humans and hang the skins on their walls as a trophy of their brutality. I know we touched on this a couple weeks ago, but it's relevant for today. These people would make pyramids out of the stacked heads that they had killed. These aren't the people you want to cross. And to make matters worse, these people already hated Israel. So, surprise, surprise, Jonah is human and he didn't care for them too much either. He had no desire to walk into hostile territory as a missionary. He had a pretty comfortable position in a cush, economically prosperous time. But God hasn't given up on his desire to show mercy to Nineveh. So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That alone is such a reassuring thought. Our God is a God of the second chance. It takes a merciful person to give someone a second chance. Usually, if you ask someone to do something and in resistance to your authority, they went the opposite direction I mean, you'd find another person to get the job done, right? And you might even have them find a new job. That may be the way you and I handle our businesses at times. But thankfully, that's not the way God deals with us. That's good news for me. And I think it's good news for you too. When I think about all the times I've been selfish and done my own thing and ignored God's calling on my life, when I've been afraid to say something I should say or just I want to go have fun and pursue the pleasure of the immediate. And I think about how God kept pursuing me, giving me chance after chance. It blows me away. Here's the thing about second chances. 
God will take you right back to the place you said no. If he's still asking you to do something, it's because it's his plan for you and he's ready to equip you and empower you. Sometimes we just want to ignore the hard thing and move on. God's not going to take you to the next opportunity until you go back to the place where you said no and you change that answer to yes. Is there something that you know in your heart you're not able to shake? Maybe you're running away in the form of pushing something off and it just keeps coming back. I was speaking with one of the men in our church this week and he described it this way. It's like a little pebble is stuck in my shoe. It's just there and I want it to go away. I have a bunch of reasons why it doesn't seem practical and a huge part of me doesn't want to do this, but it's a constant irritation that I can't shake. What do I need to do about this? He had set this lunch up with me and I told him, look, only you can know for sure, but it sounds to me like the Holy Spirit is convicting you and prompting you. So surrender, say yes. And then pray about the how and the where. You can resist for a long time, but if you are a child of God, he's going to keep coming back to you. You're probably busy. I mean, who doesn't have more time, more to do than there is time in the day? And maybe you are tempted to think that you need to pursue your career ambition, or there's something that just sounds more fun right now. Maybe, maybe there's a fear, a financial fear or a physical fear that's holding you back. God's not going to stop pursuing you. He's going to keep giving you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. So here's what we need to do with this truth about God. Say yes. Say yes. And number two, never believe you're too far gone. The enemy is trying, trying to get into your head and point out all your weaknesses You can't even get victory over this persistent, never-ending temptation. How are you supposed to lead this ministry or disciple someone else? There are times you need to grow and develop and get through something before you can do what you need to do. That's called learning and growing in your walk with God, building your faith to step forward to new heights. But listen, you are never in a place where you can't be used by God. I remember when I was a teenager... And I felt completely defeated in sin to the point that I was doubting my own salvation. And you know what held it together for me? Back then, I would spend just about all my daylight free time in a park, just playing basketball. And God kept placing people in my life on basketball courts for me to witness to. Time after time, I worked on my basketball game, shooting hoops. Guy shows up, we play one-on-one, and we start talking. And Jesus comes up. I wasn't feeling it. I was struggling myself, but God kept opening doors and sharing my faith is what kept my faith alive for that season of life. If you know Christ, he has a plan for you and you can bring him glory right now, no matter what you are currently working through. My son Beckham is six years old and I tell him, look, buddy, you're getting too big. I cannot carry you up the stairs anymore. Paxton's four and he's a lot lighter. I mean, Beckham's built like a little rock. He's super solid. Paxton's got that slender athletic build. He's a feather compared to Beckham. And Paxton has heard me say that to Beckham. And he asked me the other day if he's too heavy to carry up the stairs. I told him, no, no, you're not too heavy. I can still carry you. There's going to come a time though, 
when I can't carry Paxson up the stairs. But there's never going to be a time when God can't carry his son or daughter. I'm sure you have baggage. We all do. But it's never going to be too heavy for God. People who have been a part of dark things have an understanding and a sensitivity with people that are also dealing with the same dark things. Paul points this out to us in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, God uses the weak things to confound the wise. Because God gives second chances, never believe you're too far gone. You don't have to have it all together to do great things for God. And here's the second way we can see how God uses his people to reach people. Point number two, because God prepares hearts, share hope without fear. Let's read verses three through five. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great, a city that was three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So I know we have already talked about how some people scientifically just can't accept this story. Swallowed by a great fish? (laughs) Really? Well, we've talked about this. We've covered God can do anything. But this is the other piece of the story that's just hard to fathom. Maybe even more so. This is how it went down? Jonah half-heartedly, dutifully walks in, starts preaching an eight-word message of doom, and they all repent? What on earth? (laughs) How does something like that ever happen? I have never seen anything like that happen in my life. I don't see ISIS laying down their weapons and putting on sackcloth. This just seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, this is where a little background digging can help paint the picture for us. Because we are getting the bullet points of what happened. What we aren't getting here are the behind the scenes movements of God. God is always orchestrating something that is beyond our immediate perspective. And often we have no idea until years later what strings God was pulling behind the curtain. So what God was doing here is preparing the Ninevites for such a response. What was he doing to make that happen? Well, if you look at history, there were a few things going on. A couple years before this, there was a great famine that rocked this economically prosperous place. Then right after that, there was a mighty earthquake. Then in 763 BC, right before this time period, there was a solar eclipse, which the ancient superstitious Ninevites would have freaked over. I mean, they would have looked at that as a sign of divine anger. So do you see how God was setting this up? Then, to top it off, the Ninevites worshipped a fish god, Dagon. Dagon was a merman, half man, half fish. And now here comes a man from the belly of the fish with the most, most likely bleached white hair, bleached white skin. He shows up. I mean, word's going to get around, right? Do you think they were listening to that guy? But isn't it crazy that Jonah was in the fish because of his rebellion. The fish, a vessel of mercy, saved him. And now God makes Jonah's biggest embarrassment his biggest tool for ministry. Here's another truth that we see in this text. Your pain might just turn into your platform. God gave him credibility to the people worshiping the fish God. 
You don't have to have it all together to do great things for God. God will use your story in a way that you never saw coming. Sometimes people who seem the furthest away are way closer than you think. And it's because God is pursuing them too. How many people knew what God was doing in Kanye West's life? I am admittedly hypothesizing right now. We are talking about facts from history, but I can't tell you for sure what was going on in their minds. And for that matter, I'm sure Jonah probably said more than eight words in his sermon. The Bible is summarizing this story and all the particulars aren't necessary. But very clearly, the point here for us is that it wasn't Jonah's amazing oratory that made it happen. It was the steadfast, loving kindness of God that made their hearts receptive by showing them they weren't in the right place. We don't always know what God is doing to prepare people's hearts, but we do know that his plan is to use us to speak to people. Praise God he gives second chances. And praise God he pursues those who are far from him in mercy. You have no idea what your words will do. Your eight words on a plane ride or in the break room could be catalytic. Paul David Tripp, who's wrote many great books, says this, Your call is not to be the agent of change, but to be a tool in the hands of the one who changes hearts. The measure of your potential is your Savior. Surrendering to God allows very ordinary people to do extraordinary restorative things. Many of us don't share the gospel in fear of saying the wrong thing. I mean, you might not be good enough, and what if, I, what if I don't know the answer? Look, you can stumble through it, and God can still use it. God used Jonah, and he can use you too. The Holy Spirit is the agent of change. He's the one who convicts, but he calls you and I to be a piece and to play a part in the rescue mission. Far too often, Christians look at themselves one of two ways, and neither way is balanced. It's either, what can I do? Look at me. I can't do anything right. No. False. You were chosen by God. You are gifted with the Holy Spirit. You can do way more than you think. Or it's, look at me. Of course, you're not going to say this one out loud, but I know so much. And all these people just don't get it. The moment we think we are special, there are problems. And the moment you listen to the lies of the enemy, you will have problems. We are instruments in the hands of our Savior. A wrench is a pretty ordinary tool. But a wrench in the hands of a master mechanic can get some work done and remove some pretty heavy obstacles. No one has it all together and you don't have to to do great things for God. God wants to pick you up and use you and there is no greater joy on this earth than playing a part in his rescue mission. And this is the third and final truth about God in this passage and what it means for us. Because God is willing to relent in mercy, play your part in the rescue mission. That's, that's the third point. Let's look at verse 10. When God saw what they had did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The wicked, evil, hideous Ninevites repented from their sin and they turned to God. They were swallowed by mercy. What a miracle. 
If you could back up with me for a second, God's word outlines this pattern of repentance. Look at verse 6. The king issues a proclamation. Everyone fast, including your animals. Why is he asking the animals to fast? Is what he's doing, he's just building the gravity of the situation. And he tells them, put on sackcloth. This is itchy, scratchy material, the most uncomfortable material you can wear. I mean, it's, it's basically the same kind of material that our kids have to wear with their dress pants. And you put it on your kids and then you watch them just like go nuts because it's super uncomfortable and itchy. You know what I'm talking about, parents? <laughs> it's like our kids feel like they have to be wearing a high thread count robe at all times in, in today's America. Well, I'm digressing here. But the point is they humbled themselves and they showed that they were mourning their sin. Then in verse 8, call out mightily to God. Seek the face of God in prayer. And then lastly, turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. That's a pattern of repentance. You know what this sounds like? 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Yes, I know that was written to God's chosen people, the Israelites. That isn't a New Testament verse on salvation or it's not a call to make America great again either. But that shows you a pattern that we see repeatedly throughout the entirety of scripture. Humble yourself, pray and seek his face, and turn. You see all that in verse 8? It's all right there. And that's the pattern. And what is our merciful God's response? He will relent. All three steps are important. If you take out one of the pieces, you, you don't have it. I mean, Jonah missed the first step, right? The humble repentance part. So even if you turn to God, you're going to be either miserable or cocky because you don't fully get it. What about being humble and seeking God? I mean, I have met plenty of people who have done that. They, they know they're off, they're off. They know they're in trouble. And they seek God. But if you don't turn away from the old and turn to Christ, you will eventually fall back into the old, miserable hopelessness. You may have even heard this quote before. It's not original with me. But here's a way you could define evangelism. Two very nervous people talking to each other. Jonah was nervous. The Ninevites just wanted to know why this person was talking to them. This is a scary bleached white guy who came out of a fish. You think both of them were nervous? They were both nervous. Sharing Jesus Christ can be very nerve-wracking at first, and it's usually because we don't know how they will respond. And there's a very good chance they will reject you. But what we have seen from this story is if they reject the message of salvation, they aren't rejecting you. They are rejecting God. And furthermore, you don't need to fear because there is a high likelihood if God has opened up the door for you to say something, he's using you to play a part in their rescue. He's using you as a wrench to pry something loose and get them to think about something. He's preparing their heart. Have you blown it in the past? Does it feel like you're too messed up to be used by God? God is full of mercy and he's ready to give you a second chance. So where do you stand with God? There's a name that we don't see written in Jonah chapter 3 that's still there in Jonah chapter 3. You know what name I'm talking about? Jesus Christ. 
When the Ninevites repented and turned to God, they were turning to Jesus Christ. They didn't know him by that name, but just as you have to look back to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, they looked forward to a coming Messiah who would be the sacrifice for their sin. It's always been about faith. Have you ever turned from your evil way? Maybe you think your way isn't evil. And how dare I throw you in the same camp as these ancient pagan violent people? I'm civilized. I give to charities. I love my family. I'm a good person. Well, I'm sure you are. I don't doubt that. But if you have lived for your own glory or even your own family over your creator, you're in opposition to God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. And Jesus says something to the moral, upstanding citizens of his day. It's in Matthew 12.41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And if you turn to Jesus Christ, you will one day rise up along with the men and women of Nineveh and sing of the mercy of the Lord forever. Does anyone remember that old song? I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. It's okay to be nervous, but never get over the feeling of being saved from drowning in the choppy sea of your own sin. And if you haven't repented and believed, today is the day. Don't leave without getting that right. God in his mercy was ready to relent. But Nineveh was on the clock. They had 40 days. I don't know when your time will run out, but I do know there will be a time when it's too late and it only gets harder and darker and longer the more you put it off. Do you know him today? Embrace the nervousness and let's make him known. Would you stand to worship our King?